You guys turn to John 1 for me if you have a Bible, tablet, phone, paper Bible, whatever you may have. So as you're going to John 1, I want to introduce myself partially because I'm not up here very often, sometimes with communion thoughts, um, but for 30 minutes today to deliver the message. And I'm Bo Tiller. I'm a biology teacher at Warrensburg High School. And we are on spring break, which is partially why I'm, I'm speaking today, because my mom's a teacher and my dad, who is usually preaching, went on a cruise with her. I also tell you that for a couple other reasons. One is I've been tried by the fire of talking to students about cells and ecosystems and sexual reproduction for years, which I think at least partially prepares me to, to talk about Jesus to you today, hopefully. The other is I just had spring break and I just had my first time that I've really been alone with my thoughts in a while, um, which you might be thinking, well, you're a teacher. Didn't you have all summer break and and Christmas break and, and all of those breaks that you get that we don't get? Uh, but I was over the summer, I worked 45 hours a week at Swisher's here in town, the store. I was taking a grad class then I took a grad class and started teaching school in the fall. And then I coached basketball and kept teaching, obviously, through the winter. And I got to this spring break, and I realized that my soul was kind of parched, and I needed refreshment. And I say that because, thankfully, John 1 was kind of refreshment for my soul this week. Now, you're not going to get to spend 10 to 12 hours with John 1 like I did this week. Um, That's one of the pleasures of of getting to preach. But we are going to spend 30 minutes together with it, and I hope that it is somewhat of, of refreshment for your soul this morning as well. Before I jump into the passage, I want to tell you a little bit about John. We are doing the, the Eyes of John, Through the Eyes of John, is the, the series that is leading up to Easter. Last week we were in 1 John, which is one of his letters. The Gospel of John was written by the disciple of Jesus named John that was in his inner three. It's one of the, or it is the only gospel that's thought to be written by in his inner three, the people in his inner three. So I want you to think about that for a moment. If you were one of Jesus' best friends, and he was your Lord and your Savior, and you were writing an account of his life 30, 40 years after he died, and you wanted people to know exactly what your best friend was like, your Lord, your Savior, your everything was like, what would you say first? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So these words that John's going to say are important. Um, Hopefully the words themselves speak for themselves, but the context in which they were written was also very important that John chose to say these things. I'm going to start in verse 1. Hopefully you can follow along with me. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, 
who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and in his closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Hopefully you get a sense of the of what I'm talking about, there being a lot here, and there being John trying to put everything that he loved and worshipped and, and wanted everybody else to remember about Jesus in one place, which is also why it was refreshment for my soul this week, because what our soul needs most is the gospel of Jesus. Hopefully as we go through this, you kind of get an appreciation of that and where I want to start, and I think it's where we must start, is Jesus being the eternal word. You could say it in a lot of different ways, Jesus being God, Jesus being uh, Lord, Jesus being the creator or through who it was created. Jesus has been eternal. He has been uh, forever, which is hard to imagine. And it is through him that everything was created. Whenever you read John 1, it starts, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And hopefully, if you know your Bible a little bit, that makes you start thinking about Genesis 1. I think most of us have heard Genesis 1, where it tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's where I'm going to stop as far as putting it on the screen, but if you think back to maybe when you read Genesis 1 before, every paragraph after that says, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and then what happened after God said? It happened. It happened. It happened. It happened. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially the pattern that happened. God said it. It happened. And now John's saying that that word just came and lived with us for 30-some years, and he died on the cross for all of our sins. He's been existing for eternity. He came and made the Father known to each of us just now, and you guys better not gloss over it, is what John's saying. Whenever I read um, John 1 and hear these, these thoughts about Jesus being in the beginning and that through him everything was created, it makes me think of Colossians 1. So John wrote John 1. Colossians 1 was re- written by Paul. And Paul says this, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Hopefully, once again, you grasp the magnitude of that passage that we tend to think of the visible things that were created, because that's what we can see. I can only see the visible, maybe feel the invisible. Uh, but it says the visible and the invisible, the all dominion and powers and rulers and authorities and all of these things that are governing the world. And here kind of some, some angelic, some demonic, some what's underlying, what's spiritual that we can't really see. Jesus is over that, just like he's over everything that's in this room that's very physical. Myself, you, this podium, this platform, the Bible that I'm reading from, the iPad that I'm reading my notes on, Jesus is over all of it. And it's through Him that it was created. He is holding it together, which is just kind of mind-blowing. If you're into science, like I am a little bit, this gets you even maybe a little bit more excited. Because Jesus, when I think about what I teach 
on a weekly basis. Those things that I'm teaching, those concepts I'm teaching, Jesus is truly holding those things together. Maybe you think back to when you were in high school science, or maybe you still are. You're like, well, why do I need to learn this? Some of it does seem kind of irrelevant. But anything you learn about the world becomes much more engaging, much more powerful when you start recognizing that those are the laws that God has written into creation, and he's continuing to hold them together right now. Everything is being held together through Christ who created all things, and all things are for him. When I think about this, I think about one of my favorite quotes as well. It's attributed to the prime minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905. His name was Abraham Kuyper. And this is what Abraham Kuyper is credited with saying. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. I'm not a real excitable person, so I can't really give the mine justice that Abraham Kuyper was saying. He says it was an exclamation point at the end. But what he is saying is there is everything in this world, anything that you can imagine, the people that he governed over over in the Netherlands, the people that are here in the United States, everything we can think of, Christ calls out mine. It was through Christ we were created. It was through Christ everything was created. And it is in him that we continue to be held together and can even function right now. When you start to grasp it, I think it, it does a lot of things. One of the things, and this is really important for me since I don't do vocational ministry every day, and I know the majority of the people in here don't do vocational ministry every day. You have another vocation, another job. It means that everything we do, whether we are in a vocational minister role or not, matters. When I teach the concepts that God underlaid into this universe, that matters. Christ is holding those together. When you, if you're a farmer, when you farm that plot of land or tend that herd of cattle or tend that flock of birds, whatever you do, you are holding, you are tending what Christ holds together and it is Christ who is sovereign over it and he has it a way that he wants you to go about being a steward of that and taking care of that. Or whether you manufacture things or you build things, whether you're rearranging wood or plastic or metal, whatever you're doing, you are rearranging what Christ is holding together and what he says mine. What you do in that realm matters. Or maybe you're in the military and you protect this land and our values and the people that call this land home and you might seem like sometimes it doesn't really matter. But Christ says, the Bible says, it is through Christ that everything is held together and there are values that really matter, there are people that really matter, there is land that really matters, and there are things that are really to be protected, intended, and stewarded, and all of those things matter. So as you go throughout your, your vocation, hopefully that's encouragement for you that what you do matters. The way you treat people matters, definitely. But even what you do in that job matters. The church is under Christ. Your family's under Christ. Your home is under Christ. Those are the things we usually talk about. But also, your fear is under Christ. Your anxiety is under Christ. Your impatience is under Christ. When you think about those things, your fear, your anxiety, your impatience... I encourage you to think about those under Christ. Because when you do, you start asking yourself, well, what fear? What anxiety? What impatience? If Christ is really sovereign over everything that gives me those things, why are they consuming me? I'm not saying you shouldn't be a little fearful if you decide to stand on the edge of a tall building. Not the way God designed us to work. There's real fear there that should, should come into play. Or I'm not saying you shouldn't be a little anxious if you didn't use your gifts well and you didn't adhere to that deadline that's 20 minutes from now and you haven't even started. 
That could be some real anxiety because you didn't really take care of things the way that God would have you take care of them. Or impatience if you're standing in the grocery aisle for 30 minutes and you still aren't moving. That's a result of the fall. People have designed inefficient systems. You can get a little impatient there. But if your fear, your anxiety, your impatience is consuming you, you are not dwelling on the fact that Christ is the eternal word and he is over everything that causes you to be fearful, anxious, impatient. God did not create us to be consumed by those things. Instead, even though those things do exist, because they do, he became those things. And that's where I want to go next. John points out that Jesus became flesh. And that's our next point. That Jesus became flesh. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So the first 13 verses, John celebrating, and he's saying, Look, Jesus is eternal. This is a big deal. He came and He lived among us, is what he says in verse 14. And whenever I think about that, I get kind of dull to it. I don't know about you, but if you've been in church for a while, you start thinking, you might not start thinking it. You start just becoming dull to the fact that these stories about Jesus really happened. Jesus really came to earth. Jesus really said this. Jesus really did this. Jesus really acted in this way. So when I think of the flesh, I really got to wrap my head around that Jesus really lived in the same time and space that we live in right now. He faced the same problems we did. His life was booked ended, bookended by similar events that our life is going to be bookended by. And that's what I want to draw our attention to to kind of bring you to the point that Jesus really did become flesh. First place I want to take you is to the Christmas story, at least a part of it. That Jesus really, really was born. So it says in Luke 2, 4 through 7, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. To be fair, there's some miraculous things happening in that. There's some Old Testament prophecy that's mind-blowing that's happening. But we're getting to the flesh part. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I'm going to start with the the fact that I've only been in one delivery room, I think. And that was the one I was delivered in. But I want to make this point, that Jesus did not come from heaven on a cloud in a real nice way, in a no screaming, no crying, no pain, no nasty fluids all over him way. That's what I've been told happens in the delivery room. I don't remember but some of you have fully experienced it in multiple dimensions, and you can attribute, or you can attest, that's the word I'm looking for, attest to the fact, I told you I teach about sexual reproduction, attest to the fact that there is real pain, there is real laughter, there is real joy, there is real emotions that are associated with the fact that Mary really had a real baby that was God, but was also man that also became fragile flesh and laid in cloths just like we did when we came out of the womb. Jesus was really fragile flesh that came to die for our sins and came to save us from those sins. The death's where I want to go next. 
to do so, let's look at Mark 15, 33 through 37. It says, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Aloy, Aloy, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. So not only was Jesus born in a very human way, he was killed in the most inhumane, yet most painful, agonizing, demoralizing way. All the things that we could fear, all the pain we could fear, all of the hardship we could fear, all of the abandonment we could fear, Jesus embodied at the end of his life. So as Jesus came as a child like we did, and as he went in a dying a natural death like we will unless Jesus comes back before we die, he lived the fleshly existence that we're going to live. And when he was on the cross, he felt that real pain. When he died, it said that there was blood and there was water that came from his side, which means that his organs went through some really bad pain at the end of his life. If you would have been there, you would have heard him actually project his sound from his vocal cords and they would have registered with your ears just like I am projecting sound and is registering with your ears right now. That's how real Jesus' death on the cross was. If you had to touch the cross, and this is the best way I've heard it described, if you had to touch the cross, you could have got a splinter on the wood and you could have felt the cold of the metal that went through his hands and his feet. That is how real Jesus' cross was. It was the eternal word that came to the cross to die on the cross for your sins so that we can live with him in eternity. It's not some fantasy that we made up to make ourselves feel better. And because of that, because of that we receive several things. The the title of the message is Jesus blank so we blank because that's the way if you're really going to have your soul refreshed, that is the way you have to think. Since Jesus did this and the answer is with Jesus and this, so the answer to your life is here. So since Jesus became the flesh while being the eternal word, we can receive these three things. The first of those is light. We can receive light as the passage that John gives us in John 1 tells us in verse 4. It says, In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, because the darkness cannot overcome the light that is in Jesus. Verse 9 also tells us, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and that's where we become the recipients of the light. Later on in Jesus' ministry, John records Him saying this in John 12, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he uses this metaphor. He says that we are lamps. He says that we are a city on a hill that should not be hidden. He says that he is the light of the world that will give life to those that believe in him. And I want you to really dig into what that metaphor means this morning. Think about how hard life would be without light, without physical light. You may live without physical light or may know someone that lives without physical light, and the hardships are very real. Likewise, the spiritual hardships, if you live without the light, is very, very real. When I think about the light that Jesus gives us, I think about it in kind of two ways. One of them is very rational. It's easier for my scientific brain to wrap my head around because it's more rational. 
And that is that Jesus' teaching is a light for our ways. Our main questions about how we should act are what should we think, how should we speak to people, and how should we treat people, and how should we think about ourselves. And Jesus' teaching tells us all of those things. Go read Matthew 5-7, through the Sermon on the Mount, in which he tells us the the summary of his teaching in Matthew 5-7. through You will learn how you're supposed to act, how you're supposed to treat people, how you're supposed to think. Jesus' light, his ministry, his teaching also gives us answers to our most important questions. We may not realize it, but we want to answer four questions. We want to know where we came from, what's wrong with this place, how do we fix it, and where are we going? Jesus tells us that we came from him who he created everything, and it's through him that we still are held together. He also tells us that the sin that we feel that's wrong with this place is very, very real, and so real that he had to come and die for it. And he tells us that we are first supposed to believe in him. And then from that, we should live a life of faith, hope, love, and good works and walk in the fruits of the Spirit. And then he tells us that he's not going to leave us in this world forever, but he tells us that he is going to come back and bring his kingdom to this earth in which we can live with him forever where there's no more sickness, pain, crying, mourning, so forth. Jesus answers all of those questions. So whatever the deepest questions you have, whatever the deepest questions I have, Jesus answers those. And hopefully he's answered those for you before. And hopefully he's answering those for you now. And hopefully whenever you find yourself struggling or facing spiritual parchment, that you focus on those answers. I think there's also more of a mystical way that Jesus gives us light. In John 16, it is recorded that Jesus tells that the Holy Spirit is going to come and be a guide. A guide acts as a light, tells you where to go, tells you where to go next. And Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you. This was great that I was here to walk beside you, disciples, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to be your guide. Is the Holy Spirit going to guide us into every perfect choice? He's going to try because he's perfect. But our interpretation is imperfect. But we can continue to cling to the light that is his teaching, that is the answers to those big questions that we really want to have answers to. And we can also live with the hope and the faith that even though we might not know exactly what the Holy Spirit's trying to lead us into, I know and hopefully you know that you're better off with the Holy Spirit than you are without Him. So by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you get the Holy Spirit to be a guide, be a light for your feet, and a a lamp to your, your feet as well. The last two points are grace and truth, and I think they have to come together. John tells us that Jesus came to bring grace upon grace that was already given. He said that Moses brought the law, but Jesus brought the grace and the truth. The grace first, and it's very important that we get a real good definition of grace. The best way I know to understand it and explain it is that it's unmerited favor. Unmerited because we can't earn it. We can't earn the perfect God-giving love, grace, favor to the imperfect humans, but that's what he decided to do. And favor is everything that comes with it. Eternal favor, that we can have salvation. Temporal favor, that He's going to work for our good right now. And favor in everything that we do as we go forward. We have to have faith in that. Paul, again, in Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And that's the truth. The truth is that Jesus came to save us from our sins and there's nothing we can do to earn it. We just have to receive it through faith and then do the good works out of that. Which leads me to the last point, that Jesus came full of truth 
And Jesus said this, recorded in John 8. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When I was facing my spiritual parchment, I guess you could call it, the refreshment that I needed this week, what I realized was that I had become sin or become a prisoner to my thoughts. If you think about that, you've become a prisoner to your thoughts too. We're all a prisoner to our thoughts to some extent. But our thoughts can be damaging. Our thoughts can tell us things that aren't true. And whenever you get so busy, as I was, or let myself be, you just think the next thought, think the next thought, think the next thought. When you need to work in, think Jesus in the next thought. Think about him being the eternal word the next thought. He was flesh for my flesh the next thought. Think about those things and tell your lies the truth. Every lie that you believe that would make you a prisoner are truths to those lies can be found in Jesus. Maybe your lies that you think you're the center of the universe. Maybe you wouldn't say it out loud. Maybe you wouldn't say, I'm the center of the universe. But maybe in deep down, you think you're kind of the center of the universe. And you, when you look in the cross, look in the face of Jesus, when you look to who Jesus is in John 1, Jesus is the center of the universe. Jesus puts you in the place of humility that you should be living out of. Maybe your lie is that your future is hopeless. Your future is not hopeless. If your future was hopeless, Jesus wouldn't have came to give you a future. He wouldn't have became flesh to die on the cross and absorb the pain that we talked about to give you a future in which you're gonna, he's going to bring the kingdom to earth to spend eternity with you. The future isn't hopeless. If you're in that prison, you have to tell that prison that your future is not hopeless. What about this one? Probably the one that we need to hear the most. The lie that you don't matter. If it didn't matter, why would the eternal God of the universe that holds everything together come to absorb all the pain, all the hardship, all the suffering that he came to absorb? It doesn't make any sense. If God did not love us more than we can imagine, he wouldn't have sent his son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Tell your lies that Jesus is eternal. He's all-powerful. He became flesh so that you could walk in light and grace and in truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your truth. Thank you for the truth that's informed me this week. And I thank you for the privilege to to share that truth with the, the folks here. I thank you that you are eternal and that you are eternally powerful and sovereign over everything that that is an issue in our life, anything that we are prisoners to. I pray that you give us the wisdom to know the difference between your truth and the lies that face us every day. It is that truth and your Holy Spirit's supernatural guidance that is the light for our feet. I pray that you give us the wisdom to walk in that light this week. In your son's name I pray.